What's up, everyone? Happy Thursday. It's August 12th, 2021. Another week almost in the books, in the markets. Congratulations, you're here. You're alive. Um, yeah, so kind of pulling up my screen. The markets are, I've kind of had a, a slight rally throughout the day, started a bit down, ended a bit up, but don't let this fool you. It's not really a huge move. The S&P was up 0.3%, the NASDAQ up 0.35%. Some things to call out. Um, U.S. 10-year yields were up a bit to 1.36%. But if you remember, we're still on a kind of a long-term downtrend from the peak in March when inflation fears were rampant. U.S. initial job claims are in, were in line with expectations uh, at 375,000 last week, down 12,000 from the week prior but it does seem like we are stuck at some elevated level. Um, we also beat on US producer prices, um, but generally it was close enough to be a wash. Uh, I saw a list, uh, like a list of reasons why some of these economists are expecting Jay Powell to be reelected or reappointed, I should say, for another term. Uh, they point to his leadership through the pandemic his advocacy of the new policy framework, uh, the importance of continuity of policy, um, and his relative credibility for dealing with excessive inflation. And uh, it does seem like the Biden administration is leaning into positive feelings about Powell. Very surprising because I feel like you turn on CNBC and Powell is decried. I mean, across even, I think the smart thing to say if you're a legitimate institutional manager, like a hedge fund or some, something, is the Fed is out of control. They don't know what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're in this game of hot potato or this house of cards. When's it going to come crashing down? The Fed, Fed, Fed. Uh, also, like I feel like Jay Powell is the brunt of all the memes, even on the retail front. Uh, people don't like the idea of printing money to oblivion. Now, I don't really know. I think we're in uncharted territory where lates, rates are artificially low. And, and he's brought out the money printing bazooka. And... You know, Kathy Wood does not think we're going to have a taper tantrum. Again, I'm not sure. I lean towards, yeah, we probably won't have a taper tantrum, given we basically, I think, already had our taper tantrum back in March. Uh, and the market is generally expecting it. Now, what will, rip, what will rip our faces off, I believe, is the chances if he just, if the Fed starts ramping up interest rates more aggressively than what people think, for sure. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's a very out like it's a very low risk given Yellen in at, in the Treasury, Powell in in the Fed, you know what they're trying to do with the infrastructure budget. Are we in a scenario now where we are permanently going to print money, or maybe we can eventually wean ourselves off the printing off of the QE? But are we permanently going to be in a low rate environment? I don't know, but I think for the next five to 10 years, we are. And inflation will be higher for sure. I mean, I, I even see it. 
So, but what does that mean for us investors? We have calls. Let's go back to stocks. Oops. We have calls for, I tend to agree with Goldman Sachs. I'm generally mildly bullish. Goldman has ending the year at 4,700 on the S&P. There are some bears out there. Uh, I believe Morgan Stanley has like 5,000 by the end of next year. Something like that. It's kind of a cop out. But if you kind of think about it, bonds are yielding horribly. Real estate is bid up to low yields as well. Stocks are your best bet. What are you trying to do? Keep it in cash? Lose value? You trying to lend, you trying to buy treasuries for a negative real yield, meaning you're really you're actually losing money for the for the for the opportunity to lend our dearest government money. So, you know, onward and upward, I guess, very cautiously, if not for the sole reason that there is no alternative. I don't mean to scare you. It's it's a weird environment. It is scary. Uh, I, I'm torn between the, the classic hedge fund pessimists that love to sm sound smart and be short. But also, like, at the end of the day, what matters more than the Fed? Not quite sure. So... That's my view on the macro. That's my latest view on the macro. You all know I am a macro hobbyist. Uh, and hopefully you all listen to what Kathy Wood had to say. Um, cool. So also wanted to go over, we just hit 50 likes. So I'm going to give away 10 bucks. So what's uh, pinned at the top of the chat is the meeting pulse. So all you got to do is have that thing up. There's like 20 of you in the room. So right now you have like one in 18, a one in 18 chance of winning 10 bucks. Um, cool. So we got 50 likes and only 18 people of oh, 24 people have opened up the thing. So we're going to do a raffle. All right. I'm picking it. I'm not waiting for y'all. All right. Start raffle. Okay. So the winner should have a little pop-up. So, and then we'll, we'll see who won and just make sure to put your email because we do this like Friday and Saturday afterwards. All right. So we went over the macro. Uh, we had some big reports today palantir is up 11 and percent today on great earnings disney up five percent after hours on great earnings airbnb down five percent on great earnings down five percent on great earnings and bumble flat on Great earnings, although they have had a spike here. Um, so I'm not sure exactly when they released. I, I guess they would have released pre-market. We can take a look. We're going to take a look together. We're going to take a look. John, John, John G, you won 10 bucks. Congratulations. So, yeah. Congrats, John. Let's get this to 100 likes, shall we? Oh, we're almost, we're close. Um, all right, so let's go through them together. Let's do Palantir. So I did it. We did a last minute stream with Tom Nash on his channel. Welcome if you came from his channel. Uh, I believe he was right to, to hone in on commercial revenues. And 
What did they do? They smashed it on commercial revenues. But make make no mistake about it. Palantir is up to 25 bucks per share. It's had a great month. I guess it's been flat and then popped on good news. But you kind of zoom out, right? I know this thing has been talked about for a long time. And you kind of look at the total return since it's found its inflated valuation, which I think at this point, I, I believe they deserve the very, very lofty valuation. But we'll go over the valuation together. I highlighted a few things. Revenue grew 50% year over year. Let's see if I can zoom in. Uh, U.S. commercial revenue grew 90% year over year, which means that commercial revenue is contributing more to the growth than government. It's a good sign because commercial TAM is much higher, right? At a certain point, you're not going to be selling to an additional government agency. That's great business, but what's really, where's the GDP to go capture? It's in commercial. Out of 62 deals of a million or more, 21, so one-third of them, were $10 million deals or more. These are gigantic tickets, which is surprising because Palantir is trying to go out there and convince a company that they need something that they don't even know what they need. It's a good thing. This is a very revolutionary company. Uh, total customers up, so new logos up 13% quarter over quarter. That's really good growth, quarter over quarter, not year over year. 121 uh, million in adjusted EBITDA. Uh, another thing I wanted to point out was commercial. Remember, it was, it was, it was a much smaller fraction before. Now it composes, not comprises, 38% of total revenues. It's a good sign. They're marching along. They're marching along. They're beating their, what do they say, 30% long-term growth rates. Going to the transcripts, because where else are you going to get transcripts other than from here, this channel? Maybe, maybe I think me, Kevin, has a Bloomberg I'm not sure if he goes over them with you. But anyway, they lead off with the most impressive thing. Palantir's meta-constellation software harnesses the power of growing satellite constellations, deploying AI into space to provide insights to decision makers here on Earth. Blah, 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 blah. Apollo for Edge AI, running ta tailored AI micro-models to each sat satellite. The best part, my favorite part, is that it orbits. The Edge AI platform hot swaps the right macro model, micro models in, rapidly reconfigured over my head, man. I don't know what to say. Other than the fact that these, these guys and gals at Palantir are next level. Visibility into future growth is strong as total deal values value increased 63% to 3.4 billion. To put that in context, Put that in context. They they are run rating about 1.5 billion in revenues. So if they just close their pipeline, and I'm not sure if it's risk adjusted or not. Those of you in sales, you know what I mean. You put these things in Salesforce, risk adjusted pipeline. Let's just say it's not risk adjusted. I think it's probably total pipeline of 3.4 billion. So they have the ability to triple with the deals that they have going. At least 
prospecting those deals. Uh, Apollo, our third platform, has always been our secret advantage. It enables us to take our SaaS offering to where no SaaS has gone before, drones, subs, satellites, classified networks, and on-prem without losing the efficiencies and the scalability of a centralized managed SaaS solution. So basically, they're innovating the on-prem solution with their kind of updating technology. You're at the extreme edge. You guys can read this, or maybe you can't. I guess you don't have access. Um, but they're next level. And they're, they're doubling down on growth. They hired 100 more salespeople for the first half of the year. They grew commercial customer count 32% quarter over quarter. They clearly have momentum. And 61% for the first half of the year. Clearly have commercial momentum. This is exactly what I like to see. Another thing, cool thing that they said, um, oh, we hit 100 likes. So let me just finish this thought and we'll pick another winner. Another thing that they said that was really interesting was about COVID. Uh, if I told an analyst or a Wall Street investor four months ago that COVID was not going away, I would have been laughed at. Uh, we anticipated the future needs. Supply chains will never be the same. It isn't just about today's shortages. The old world is fixated on the accuracy of the forecast. The new world is all about how well you manage the error in your forecast. The error is the signal. The error is the opportunity to win. Um, Working through the eight-month backlog, so healthcare, working through the 18-month backlog and the impact on morbidity and mortality. So they're basically saying in this new world, they, are, they fit right in. They're going to get a lot more business. Really interesting stuff. Let's look at their valuation. So at 25 bucks a share after they rallied today, Palantir is still expensive. Lo and behold, they are trading... At 33 times forward gross profit. 33 times forward gross profit. But, but, there's a big but. Estimates, Wall Street estimates assume that their growth is going to slow to 30 to 35% because they've given long-term guidance of 30% plus. But you look at them quarterly, and they're still hanging out at that 40 to 50% growth range. I really do wonder if they can continue this. So this is in thousands. And hit, so in thousands, 375 million in revenue. So 1.5 billion. Can they hit 10 billion in revenue? And I think the answer is quite Quite honestly, yes. Because if you kind of look at Salesforce, right? I mean, they, they make, what, $21 billion in revenue? So can Palantir make 10? I sure think so. This one is growing on me because I think the financials are catching up with the valuation. So... You remember, the, these two quarters, I did not like Palantir. I did not like Palantir. And I will admit, right, like I think I got it wrong on IPO because, well, because they didn't show us anything. It was this S1. They just IPO'd. And um, 
I remember they had basically stumbled a bit. They'd come out and had smaller, uh, they were majority government, governmental revenues. And they had much smaller revenues than everybody had expected. But then quickly rallied. Also, the valuation did rally to something from what we knew back then, I think in anticipation. We didn't see the financials to justify this rally, in my opinion. But the market somehow knew about it. I didn't know about it, quite clearly. But these two quarters, I basically said I didn't like Palantir because it had just run too far ahead of valuation. But for a company, the long term might grow 50% year over year because you're going from 1.5 billion in revenues to 10.10 to 20 billion in revenues. I do think you're starting to get attractive here. Interesting. The day that Justin starts turning on Palantir. All right, let's give away this next raffle. So click the link, have the page up, and I'm going to click it. I'm going to click it. No waiting. No waiting. All right, start raffle. The winner should have the... Uh... Thanks, Grace. By the next by the next Thursday night stream that we do, I want to have a little winner lower third pop up. Oh, really? For every time the person wins, we can have some like confetti or something. That'd be really cool. To go along with the closing bell. Oh, people are asking for you. I have a question for you about yeah. IPO stuff. So since I'm a new investor and the IPOs that I've seen since I've been working for you have been like some successful IPOs, what's the worst IPO, like worst historical IPO that's ever happened? The worst historical IPO. That's a really tough one, actually. Like that just absolutely flopped. I th that's a really tough one. Is there like one in the chat super notable that like people think of right away? I might be blanking. Well, okay, yeah, you're right. So uh, people are putting like Nicola and all these like SPAC ones, right? I, but you're asking like a legitimate IPO. Mm -hmm. I think the the reason why I can't really say one has flopped and gone bankrupt is because IPOs have a super rigorous process and you they have to do a roadshow. And basically, like I sat across the, the, the table with all these CEOs at, at the big C. Um, and they have to convince institutional investors to invest at the valuation. And we, we ran DCS, we like dug in, did all the stuff, research. But these SPACs, the reason why the SPACs are flopping is because they can just go public like that and they don't need to convince these like really like well-educated people, right? So the one that comes to mind to me was Shake Shack. You want to pull up this chart? Shake Shack, I hated it. I hated it. It spiked and I was like, this is a short, blah, 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 blah. And it didn't do well for a long time. And it took, it was basically dead money for the longest time. So th that's the one that I, I thought, but again, Shake Shack's now expanded. They've created value. But as a shareholder, you wouldn't have been ha very happy with the stock for five years thereafter. Right. Brian P. Brian P. Oh, I get some, that's a good point. Dylan is saying DD is one that's like good game. Yeah. So DD IPO'd and, uh, well, yeah, IPO'd and China came in, remember recently? Yep. So that's kind of one of those ones where you're like, how, how do you even, how do you even come back from this? 
or predict it. Right. Yeah. Um, also, I got you off beat, so we, we never announced a winner. Oh, yeah, I did. Brian P. Oh, Brian's the winner. Brian's the winner. Some closing bell for Brian. Facebook had a bad IPO, but I'm sure we would all love to buy Facebook at IPO price at this point, yeah? Facebook had a, see this, look, you want to see this? So you see this, right? Facebook had a really bad IPO for a while. I was not investing for that year, to be clear, because I was middle of 80 hour, 80 to 100 hour weeks as an investment banker. Oh, good old 60 Wall Street. So uh, my investing took a little bit of a pause then. I remember that. Okay, we got to move on. I know, I know, guys, I know. Disney, Airbnb. Why does everybody love Rocket? Rocket Mortgage. All right, so we, we went over Palantir. Here's the Airbnbs. We're going to go over these quick. Airbnb crushed it. Street estimated uh, 12... Um, or 1.25 billion in revenues and 40 billion in EBITDA. And they did 1.33 in revenues and 217 in EBITDA. They crushed it. By all accounts, they crushed it. And, you know, they're basically saying, I think I couldn't highlight it because it's a preliminary transcript. But the Delta variant is a risk. We're looking at this together in real time. Uh, they said clearly things are picking up, especially in um, in Europe. That's a good thing. And then let's see if they're giving guidance. see if they're giving guidance outlook we are proud of our q2 performance in the near term covid and the introduction of new variants blah blah blah, blah year over year uh comparisons were night booked will continue to be volatile in the near term we b believe revenue and adjusted ebitda provide clear indications of quarterly performance while the covid pandemic creates uncertainty for our future results we expect q3 revenue to be our strongest quarterly revenue on record and deliver the highest adjusted ebitda So if I'm reading this right, they're not giving us real guidance. They're just saying it's going to be higher. So it's interesting. Yeah, so we all know why they why they why the stock didn't do so hot after hours is because everyone's concerned about the Delta variant. But my question is why, what in this report tells you something new? We all knew, like, did the Delta variant existed yesterday? So I guess if you you're long Airbnb, now's not a bad time to get in, right? I never liked Airbnb here; it was too expensive. I remember doing. I remember thinking it was reasonable under a hundred bucks a share when we did we covered it on the on the main channel. So let's look at Airbnb's valuation at this point. So on a forward basis trading an $88 billion valuation and they're trading at maybe like a 17 times forward gross profit multiple for 
through cycle 20 to 30% growth. I would say 17 times. So they're, they have half the growth. Okay. They have more than half the growth profile of Palantir at half the valuation, but they're, I would say a much lower quality business than Palantir that is susceptible to a lot of near-term market swings. So I think if you want something growing 20 to 30%, you can get it cheaper. And if you want a high quality business at a higher valuation, you go Palantir. I just, I've never seen a reason why I would own Airbnb. That's just my two cents. It's just, Yeah, and Klondike Baby is saying Airbnb is a good stock. I, I don't disagree that it's a good stock. I just, the valuation is still isn't cheap enough where I'm like, I would rather allocate money here than elsewhere, right? Because if travel comes back, Ubers are coming back too. And so Uber and Lyft are much cheaper. So we'll see. So that's Airbnb. Let's go over Bumble. <laughs> yeah, brood. Just my couple of cents. Uh, oh, yeah. We're 29 likes away from another raffle. Okay, cool. So Bumble, everyone's favorite dating app. Bumble is my one stock that I play with a lot. Yeah. Like I buy it when it's low and sell it when it's high. It's very, I've been asked about it a lot. I feel like it's popular because people really like using it, you know? Yeah. And it, it just fluctuates a lot, the price. So let's look at the Bumble. So it's up for the day, but it's been a loser. And I didn't like it back, right? When, it, when they IPO'd, I really didn't like it. So it's been on a downtrend. So I'll consider that a win. A win on avoidance. I feel like I, there's a good chance that I, like me and these quick takes, provide more value to you, the, the viewer, more so on allowing you to miss the lo more losers than I pick winners. You know what I mean? Like, which is equally as, e equally as important. But it's just kind of an interesting way to think about it because I think there's a good chance that it's flipped too. Because I'm, as a professional, I'm much more hesitant to say, like, I'm buying this, right? My, my filter is very, very st stingy to get to the, the buy, the strong buy rating. But quick ratings, I can be like, ah, it doesn't look interesting, doesn't look interesting. So, I mean, let's see. This is their 10Q. Let's go to documents, company documents. Interim. This is clearly not Bumble. Okay. Revenue grew 38% to 186 million. App revenue grew 55%. Beidou app, so Beidou's struggling. 
Total paying users increased 20% to 2.9 million. Adjusted EBITDA was 51.9 million. It's fair. Interesting. Let's let's get a quick. So adjusted EBITDA for the full year is like 200 million, call it. And cost of revenue 50.8 divided by 186. Nice. So yeah, they have like 73% gross profit margins. So if you're saying full year outlook of 760 times 0.73. So yeah, like 550 million in, in gross profit. So you look at, let's see if they're interesting now, now that they've grinded, like the stock has grinded downward since IPO. It's a good quarter, 38% growth, 55% on the app. Okay, so they're trading at like 15 times forward gross profit. Interesting. And they showed that they're growing faster than this might imply. These out these like estimates might imply. For 30% growth. Not a bad stock. I think it's come down to a place where, let me make sure this is right. I don't think this is right. No, I'm on the, I'm on a different one. I apologize. Sometimes I lose myself. I, I have four screen screens up. Okay. Sorry. 12 and a half times forward gross profit. But yeah, these estimates are lower than what they should be. So in reality, it's like probably 11 times forward gross profit. I was on Disney. Seven and a half billion dollar valuation. It's not bad. It's not bad, but you have to believe from here on out, you have to you have to have a good view on what Bumble what what Bumble is and how it will do going forward. There's a part of me that believes the last quarter was driven by Hot girl summer <laughs> and hot guy summer. I don't hear that one as much, but think about it. Have you heard that phrase at least once, Grace, this year? I hear that phrase all the time. Right? It's because everybody is coming off of a year of being locked up at home. They're trying to go out and meet people. And I'm wondering if their growth rate for Q2 is artificially boosted by pent, pent up dating demand. Well, they were saying in the live chat, so it's going to be hot girl summer, hot guy summer, whatever. But then as soon as we go into winter, it's going to be like cuffing season. So people will be back on dating apps. Yeah. So, but see, that's always happened. Like, Hot, the hot, whatever, going out and dating summer and then relationship winters have always been a seasonal thing with dating, at least since I've been in my 20s, like when I was in my 20s. But I think that the hot, like the, the dating summers have been pumped up 
artificially because the basically people missed out on last summer. So I'm wondering if growth rates come down from here. And we also, they did see growth through the pandemic because how else are you going to meet people? So people otherwise that would go to the bar last summer, they couldn't go to the bar. So they had to meet people on, on like apps. So there's a couple moving pieces here that I don't really have a view, but put in the chat or comment if you're watching after this, what do you think? We just hit 150 likes. We're going to pick a third winner. So there's only 63 of you. There's 176 of you on, on the viewers and only 63 of you had the screen up. It's the pinned comment on the chat. Um, and now Bumble also has the Bumble BFF. So now it's beyond just dating and it's for finding friends as well. Yeah, which we talked about in a previous ep episode that it's mostly females that use the Bumble BFF. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. I guess this is only 61 of you. So only 61 of you know how to try to get free money. So I'm just going to go. If you want another shot, you got to like, you got to like it. Another 50 likes. Start raffle. Cool. Okay. So you should, the winner should have that thing up anyway. So let's go to Disney really quickly. Disney's up. Great report. Lots of, uh, lots of mentions of people returning to theme parks. Clearly people return to theme parks very, very quickly. This is their queue. Let's see if we can go to their segment data. Total capitalized someone said that their mom's on bumble bff oh really i want to hear if any males have used bumble bff to uh, a successful degree Okay, now we're okay. Linear networks up 16%. Direct consumer, so this is Disney Plus, 57%. Content sales and licensing, site licensing. Disney Media. Yeah, so Disney Media and Entertainment is up 18% year over year. Linear networks up 16% year over year. I want to see theme parks though. This is a messy. Okay. Look down Hulu, ESPN plus and Disney plus. You all know that they over double Disney plus subscribers. ESPN plus up 75%. And surprisingly, Hulu's up 22%. That's surprising. I thought I would have thought, I mean, I bought the bundle. I, do you guys subscribe to anyone or the bundle? I, I subscribe to the bundle. Okay, here we got, we, uh, here we go, I think. Disney parks and experiences and products. Quadrupled. 
from last year during the pandemic. This is a very, very strong print from very, very strong snapback from Disney parks. So yeah, it was a good quarter. I think the question is what's going to happen with Delta Delta variant. Yeah, they have so many segments. If you look at the kind of the nine month view, attendance is down 50%. Okay. Nine months ended versus nine months ended last down 22%. Is a bit quarter over quarter, I think it was a very strong print. I didn't read the transcript. So, what do you guys think? Dylan saying that Jason Calcanis said that Disney will be a tech company going forward and eat Netflix. I don't believe that they're going to eat Netflix. I believe that there's going to be a content oligopoly. If like HBO Max has so much great content. They just released like the Friends reunion, Gossip Girl 2.0. I know that's gotten a lot of backlash, but... um. I don't think my analysis of this whole chessboard has always been, what did I say? Content is king. I've been saying that since last year. Content is king, which is why I've never really liked Fubo. They don't own any content. They just rent content from other people that allow them to have the content because the content isn't really all that valuable, honestly. And if it ever became big enough to be valuable, they'd just take it for themselves. Uh, it's why Paramount Plus to me has always been like, meh. Would you subscribe to Paramount Plus? Probably not. But to me, there is a... Netflix is a utility. Everybody wants it. They want Outer Banks if you're younger. They want other things. You know what I mean? Uh, HBO Max is a really good one for a lot of people. And Disney Plus. Especially if they bundle with ESPN Plus, which... As a casual sports fan, it's not super valuable. Um, but it's, it's like nice to have. And Hulu with ads. Definitely. I agree. So to me, as someone, you know, let's say middle, if you can be middle class and up in America, I would say you probably have two out of three of those. To me, it's an oligopoly. But I believe Disney is a really good company. Disney is a really, really good company. And the reason why I don't really necessarily love it is because if you kind of look at where they've traded in the past, right? When they were struggling with innovation and growth, Disney traded at about 10 to 11 times EBITDA, okay? Through the pandemic, they are a full cyclical company now. They have double their historical valuation. Yes, I understand that. They deserve a much better valuation now that they have Disney+. Plus. I agree. But a lot of the embedded EBITDA valuation is the EBITDA that they're missing from theme parks. And that's going to swing very wildly because if they shut down parks due to Delta or not, I don't know what to... I don't know what to to think. And the difference, that is a good, great, great point, Bruno, about Universal Music over Spotify. That's a great point. Uh, I would say difference is that 
the distribution is owned much more thoroughly by Spotify, right? You they they dominate market share, and then second runner up is Apple Music, and then like no one's on Amazon Music. I, I'm a Prime member. Like you have Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny, funny fact. You listen to Pandora. Yeah, I, I listen to Pandora and the car radio instead of using like an aux cord. I just like when like music plays for me and I don't have to pick it out. So I find new music that way. Um, like, a, like a mom. My mom uses Pandora too. Oh, really? Um, I think they're public. I think they're public. Um, anyway, I don't think it would be a good one to invest in. I think I'm like the only person I know that still uses Pandora. Yeah. Me and my mom. <laughs> so, so what I would say the difference between streaming music and streaming video is that, um, is the control over the actual distribution. So when you think about what you watch, like when I ask you, what do you watch your shows on? And you say, oh, on my iPad or oh, on my TV first. And then you say, oh, and then I'll turn on Hulu or whatever. And I, I have an Apple TV or I have a Roku. And then all Apple TV, Roku, Fire Stick, uh, Vizio's, whatever, a built-in one, Samsung's built-in one, pretty commoditized. So there's like, there's like three or four layers to that chessboard. Right, with the with a lot of a lot of players, a lot of commoditized players on the distribution end. So there's like three distribution ends. It's like the hardware, it's like the software stick, and then, um, yeah, and then there's no like real subscription to keep it sticky. And then and then from there, you're basically it's a la carte. Everything's a la carte. Versus if you're like trying to listen to music you're going to subscribe to an unlimited music subscription and there aren't that many distribution channels and they basically own the distribution channel. So I think the biggest threat is probably Apple music, but that's why the content does matter. See, that's why Spotify paid caller daddy, Alex Cooper, $60 million to get her podcast on Spotify. A little jealous. Just kidding. She deserves probably every cent of it. Uh, um, yeah, Joe Rogan got paid well over a hundred million. I think we don't know the exact amount to go on Spotify exclusively because they want to, they know they have to own the content. So I'm not saying it's not important for Spotify. It's definitely important, but they have more friendly competitive dynamics because all the big players, like you rewind three years, all the big players were focused on video. And they thought music was this like backwater thing and uh, Spotify just kind of w was left alone to become big and own the distribution channel. And then now they're coming back to music and podcasts. So cool. Uh, all right. We are 35 likes away from a fourth giveaway winner. All right, so we did Disney. Oh, we're going to do... So you, you all know my opinion on Disney's valuation is I think this Disney can do very well for you. It's such a gem of a stock. 
But the issue is the valuation. If it were still a $125 stock, I think it's a no-brainer buy. But because it's at 180 the question really is, what's going to happen to like Delta? Are they going to have to shut down the theme parks again? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think about Delta. Sense trip to Disney. Maybe, maybe in a couple years after we uh, for work purposes. <laughs> everybody really wants to do like meetups or like I want to do a sh like a shareholder annual meeting of of, of Roic members someday. Maybe we'll do one at Disneyland someday. We got to grow a little bit more. It's only like two hour drive from here. Two hour three. Yeah, hour. Orlando. Um, okay. So we went over Palantir. We went over Airbnb. We went over, uh, Disney. We went over we went Bumble. And yeah, let's check up on Spotify. Yeah, they've really, they've really kind of tanked. We sold that at Spotify quite a while ago. I think we sold up here. Uh, that was good. Good. All right. So let's maybe do one voicemail question and then we're going to go straight. And most people here, it's a new channel. I know most of you are Roic members. Um, but in case you're not a Roic member, definitely check us out. Link in the description, a couple cents.com. Trust me. It's the best 1199 you'll spend every month. Uh, trying to make real equity research accessible to everyone. Not only that, we are sponsored by Fundrise, my favorite way of investing in real estate, private real estate without having to own it right now. Met with the CEO. He's super impressive. Super impressive. He actually sent me a podcast to listen to. CEO of Fundrise. Hopefully getting him on the channel. And yeah, check him out. Guys, I don't like UiPath. I need, like, I don't, I haven't had time to follow up with why. I forget. I had a, a few drinks and he was, this analyst was explaining to me why UiPath. But basically, the end all is his research is showing UiPath is losing in the bidding process with these companies and that they're long-term screwed or something like that. Cool. Yes, and if you're, if you're not a Relic member, definitely check us out uh, and sign up for a free daily email newsletter, Morning Sense, uh, where you get some of the analysis. So let's do one. Okay, so all these voicemails are very are Roic members. So we'll dive into it. We're going to do the private stream right now soon, like give us like three to five minutes. And yeah, we didn't hit 200 likes, so we're not, you know, we're not going to do that. So uh, yeah, we'll see you all. We will see you all in the next one. See you later.